podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast with me, Phil Kitramelides and Dr Sid Lowe joining me live on the line. Hello Sydney. Hello Philip, how are you? Sid, I am very, very, very impressed by what you managed to do this weekend. Slightly worried, but majorly just impressed at the five matches you managed to attend over the weekend. It was very, very back to your pre- pre-pandemic best. Sid. I, I think the impressive thing, what's really impressive, Phil, is, is managing to go to three games on Sunday and not seeing a bloody goal. <laughs> not one. <laughs> It's a lot of minutes without seeing a goal at three different matches. Sid. Well done. Well Honestly, done. the Oviedo game was unbelievably bad. I mean, it was painful. Uh, Sid went to uh, five games across Spain uh, this weekend. Four of them were in the region of Madrid. He did go and see the mighty rail Oviedo draw nil-nil with, uh, with Fuenlabrada. You were also at the Bernabeu uh, last night to see Real Madrid held to a nil-nil draw uh, by Cadiz. And you also watched some of Getafe against Osasuna, although you left before Getafe scored the only goal of the game in the 92nd minute. By the way, when I left, I just, just, just to throw this in now, when I left, it reduced the amount of written journalists at the game by 50%. There was just... Two journalists at the game? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. And you really didn't need to be there. I mean, you weren't writing anything about this game. No, you? no. It makes me wonder what the post-match press conference was like. <laughs> Short. <laughs> uh, here are the other match day 18 uh, results. Then Friday night saw Celta Vigo uh, beat Espanyol by three goals to one. On Saturday, the mighty Rayo Vallecano. Beat Alaves by two goals to nil. Sydney was there. Uh, he's also written about it today. And why not? Because Rio have the best home record of any team in any major European league. It is extraordinary what they've done. Eight wins and a draw from their nine matches. And they were very, very good value for that win on Saturday. Uh, good game uh, between uh, La Real and uh, Villarreal uh, with uh, Unai Emery's side winning by three goals to one. Four matches, four straight defeats for La Real now. The... <laughs> Don't like to use this phrase, but I'm going to use it anyway. The wheel's coming off uh, a little bit for Emmanuel yeah. uh, Aguacil's side. Uh, then Barcelona 3, Elche 2 in a thrilling seesaw game. Barca went 2-0 up, then threw it away seemingly in the second half, conceding two goals in two minutes, uh, only to score a, a late and very important winner. And then the game of the weekend was at the Estadio Ramon Sanchez-Picuan. So was Sydney to see Sevilla beat Atletico Madrid by two goals to one. Elsewhere on Sunday was Granada 4, Mallorca 1 with a hat-trick. From the mighty Jorge Molina, who became the oldest player to score a top-flight hat-trick in Spain at 39 years young. He um, outdid Joaquin, uh, who did it a couple of years ago against an athletic club. He was the uh, uh, holder of that particular title, but now it's Jorge Molina, 39 years young. A fabulous game in Bilbao as well. Athletic club uh, coming from behind to beat Betis by uh, three goals to two. Uh, Betis were in fantastic form, but Athletic uh, ended their winless run uh, in Bilbao. And then the other two matches that we've mentioned. Monday night's game is a big one as well. Uh, It's the Valencia derby. 25 games without a win for Levante. Uh, They're hosting cross-city rivals Valencia, there was supposed to be a game in the Segunda División as well, uh, but it's been suspended, Lugo against Almeria, because of an outbreak of COVID. We're starting to lose games here as well in Spain. The situation isn't as bad as it is in England in terms of numbers, in terms of matches being postponed, but it is progressing for the worst, unfortunately. Let's see how things do progress. Uh, As things stand, we've got football tonight. Tomorrow, Wednesday and Thursday as well. Uh, So let's see if we get to see all those matches. Why don't you join us, dear listener, 
over at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. As always, we'll have a Q&A pod out on Tuesday, a bonus pod on Thursday talking the midweek La Liga games, including Sevilla against Barca and Athletic Club against Real Madrid. Plus, you get Al's paper reviews and access to the TSFP Discord all from one euro a week. It's pretty good value. The big game of the week and the weekend, Sydney, then was in Seville. The uh, uh, clash between Sevilla and Atletico. It's in Really, really striking to see how Sevilla are keeping pace with Real Madrid, despite having loads of players out injured, despite playing literally every three days. This game, they'd played midweek in the Copa del Rey. They'd been taken to penalties. It was a three-hour round trip on the plane to Mallorca for that 120-minute clash before it went to penalties. And somehow, they managed to outrun Atletico at the weekend and win the game. It's incredible. Yeah, I was talking to someone after the game from from Sevilla, um, and the phrase he used was "muertos." Estamos muertos. We, we you know, we, we, we're just dead. There's there's nothing there. He said, you know, halfway through the second half, he said, "Absolutely, I would have taken the draw. Absolutely." Um, that they, Julian Lopetegui said afterwards, we've been through this month and a half, six week period. He said, with basically fourteen players, uh, I was standing there, and I must admit, I hadn't realised what happened um, at the top of the steps by between the two tunnels, uh, sorry, between the two tunnels, between the two benches, which, which runs up to the kind of the passageway where the, where the dressing rooms are. And when they brought up Ocampos at the very end, so he'd scored a goal, then he got dizzy and he was brought out on a stretch and he was, they literally carried the stretcher through the crowd. And I sort of suddenly I'm looking down, there's Ocampos being kind of dragged past me. And that's the third player who was forced to go off. Now, because it was only dizziness, we think he'll be fine for the game against Barcelona. But it was the third player that was forced to go off. Lopetegui said afterwards, I think that now makes it 10 that we've got with an injury or, or some sort of problem. He said that, look, what we'll do after this game is we will wait and tomorrow I'll do the counting. I'll do the counting and work out how many players we've got and whether or not we can put a side together against uh, Barcelona. They, as you say, they've had a very, very intense month with a squad that's that's got depth and it is a very good squad, but possibly not quite as much depth as as uh, Atletico Madrid or, or, or Real Madrid have. Um, and they have seen their way through it. They they hung on a little bit. They were possibly a little bit fortunate in this game in the second half, although I don't think Atletico created loads of chances, but there was a little you know, two or three sort of semi-decent opportunities. And they found a way through. And the thing that's most striking for me, in a way, is they find a way through basically because of a run up the right wing from Jules Koundé. Now, Koundé, who, who has played everything in this period, has the energy, while playing at right back, which he'd been moved to from centre-back because of an injury. He's forced to go to right back. They bring on, uh, they bring on Goudel and stick him in at centre-back. He goes to right back. And in the 89th minute, he's bombing up the pitch and, and winning a corner from which they, they score the winning goal. And Lopetegui doesn't want to address the question of whether or not they can win the league. But you look at it now and you think, well, they're probably the only one that can if it's not going to be Real Madrid. Big, big game for them in midweek. Well, tomorrow uh, against Barcelona. If they win, they're only three points behind Real Madrid. And we were talking about Real Madrid seemingly running away with the title. If they win, it's three points. It's 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 a big if, obviously, uh, against Barca yes. being so tired, of course. But it's 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 quite possible. Um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the actual game uh, itself. Um, this is um, as we said, it's Sevilla's. Uh, it's their joint best ever start after seventeen games now. So we're saying that they are title contenders. They're the only ones that can really push Real Madrid. 
The current champions are Atletico Madrid. This is their third league defeat in a row. It's yeah. the first time that's ever happened under uh, Diego Simeone. We had such high hopes for this season for Atletico Madrid. Yeah, we did. Um, and it's it's difficult to put your finger exactly on what's wrong. Uh, there's a little bit of me that's tempted to point the finger at precisely what you just said. Is partly the expectation the problem? And And... and I know we've discussed elements of identity before with Atletico and I think Atletico are, are probably more focused on identity than any other club uh, or certainly have been over the last 10 years than perhaps Barcelona, who of course have a very clear sense of what their identity is, so much so that even when they're winning and it's not that identity, some people are unhappy about it. With Atletico, I think what Simeone did was build an identity which has evolved. I think it's short-sighted to suggest that there's a Simeone style and nothing else. I, I just don't think that's true. I think last year they played a lot more football than... Uh, football is a terrible way of putting it. But uh, they, they they were more expansive. They kept the ball more. They played fur, further up the pitch. They attacked more last year than I think people give them credit for. But it is true that some of those kind of very clear signs of identity, the competitiveness, the aggressiveness, the contundencia, which is the word that Simeone keeps on using, you know, being decisive in both areas. In other words, making the tackle when you have to make it, finishing the chance when you get it, uh, not worrying about necessarily about what happens in the middle, but what happens in the area defines everything. That hasn't really been the case this year with them. You look at the, the Sevilla goal and it's a corner that Delaney wins the first header. It's a brilliant header, by the way. It hits the bar. OK, first things first. It's not often, or it wasn't often with the old Atletico, that from a corner you would expect an opposition player to get to the header first. Mm. It hits the bar. At that point, it drops and Koundé gets a foot to it. And I'm not sure who it is he gets a foot to, he gets a head off. I think it might be, is it Correa even? It's someone, it's someone who I think is a forward in a defensive position. And you think, that's the kind of thing that Atletico would have got to first before. That ball drops and Atleti player gets there first. And he doesn't. And Koundé gets a little touch to it and it goes to Ocampos. And even then you think, that's the kind of thing when that ball bounces up to Ocampos, in the past, an Atleti player gets that first. Or an Atleti player gets in the way of it. Or Oblak saves it. Mm. And none of these things are happening. And all of these things, I think, are, are more or less beyond analysis, except to say that there's something missing. And I, I think, in a way, it's a, I suppose it's management of plenty. Is this a team that feels happier in a different scenario that maybe lacks something in terms of that sense of a, a drive and a cause and a, and a something to chase? And, and I was talking after the game with someone... Um, quite close to Simeone and, and, and sort of, he was saying that they seem to lack confidence. There seems to be a sense that they don't believe in what they are. And I kind of proposed to him this idea of maybe part of the problem is having won the league, if you sort of mean. Mm. And he didn't dismiss it, mm. uh, which is not to say it's true, but he, he did sort of say, well, maybe there's something that's kind of not there that drove them on last year. Maybe there is something in that as a, as a theory. There's been a bit of bad luck as well. I don't think there's any doubt about that. There's been some key injuries too. Uh, a lot's been made of Atletico Madrid underperforming in both penalty areas, i.e. conceding yeah. too many goals and, and not scoring enough at, at the other end. Speaking of not scoring enough, Luis Suarez, seven matches without scoring. Yeah. It's his worst run since he came to Spain in 2014. He was subbed off early again and he wasn't happy about it. We no. think we lit, read the words... Pelotudo de mierda siempre igual. Um, if you don't know what that means, Google it. But uh, yeah, wasn't happy. No, he wasn't happy. Um, I mean, the statistics themselves are very interesting. As you say, uh, the, the, the run is that long. I think part of this is semi-predictable. 
in that even in the summer we were saying it's hard to imagine Suarez having a season as good as last year. In fact, in the summer, I think there was a point at which we were saying you almost want him to go now to preserve last season mm. as this kind of this perfect season that's kind of held in, in suspended animation forever. You know, that this is always what Suarez's time at Atletico Madrid will be. And we did say as well that we felt that at some point the likely scenario is that Griezmann becomes the forward mm. and Suarez plays a different type of role. All of that said, we should go back to something here, which is that Suarez is still their top scorer in La Liga. I, I think with seven goals. Just about to say that, yep, seven goals. Yeah, and, and, and I believe, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, that's, that's twice as many as anyone else. I don't think anyone else has got more than three. I might be wrong on Correa's that. Correa has got four, but yeah. Correa has got four, there you go, okay. Um, and there's something to add here, which is that the reason he's gone seven games without a goal... The fact that he's gone seven games without a goal is the reason that he's getting taken off early. Mm. But the reason that he's gone seven games without a goal is also to do with being taken off early. So to go back to last year, Simeone, when he started talking about the Suarez zone, he talked about that on occasions when Suarez wasn't doing very much, but with the faith that one chance will fall to him and he will put it away. And I think, for example, the Osasuna game, I think he'd admitted after the game that that he was you know, thinking, I'm going to take this game guy off. Against Barcelona this year, yeah. he admitted. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Th- I don't know if he admitted it publicly, but I-, I can't remember if he did or not. I think he might have done actually that he was going to take Suarez off and decided against it. And so now, when you start taking him off, of course, you 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 lose that chance to have him score that goal. Now, that's not me saying keep him on the pitch, but it is me kind of contextualizing, if you like, the 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 scoring statistics because the scoring statistics and the way he plays don't always go hand in hand. Mm. Um, but they they do have a problem there. Mm. They, Not necessarily because of his reaction, because to be honest with you, Suarez's reaction will be gone tomorrow. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's, it, it, it happens. It's not particularly pleasant for anyone, but it's gone. And in a way, I genuinely think Simeone isn't making it up when he says things like, I want my players to be pissed off. I actually think he wants Suarez to be pissed off for coming off the pitch. Uh, they play Granada at Granada on uh, Wednesday evening. That's their final game of the year. And they've got a tough start to the year as they host the mighty Rayo Vallecano. Then they're away at yeah. Real. They've... Uh, uh, got uh, Copa del Rey as well. So let's see. Let's see how uh, Atletico Madrid do get on in the defence of their uh, La Liga title. Let's move on and talk about Barcelona's 3-2 victory against Elche. Uh, producer Al's put in his uh, production notes, where would Barca be without the kids? And it's a great point. Gavi scored yeah. and assisted. Nico scored the winner, his second consecutive uh, game scoring after getting his, uh, his first goal last week as well. Um, really, really impressive stepping up from these young guys because Barca at times do look a bit of a mess but they've got this exciting bunch of really really young talented kids that are coming through and at the moment I was going to say carrying them they're not exactly doing amazingly well but without them they 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 really would be lost yeah um and and Xavi tried to back away slightly this weekend from what he'd said was it a week ago when he said the, the you know the, the the young players are carrying the team, they're mm. taking responsibility, and that's hard to swallow. Mm. This weekend, he said, "Look, this isn't a criticism of the veterans, mm-hmm. uh, but the young players are playing really, really well." Now, I think he has to say that and to back away from it. But I, yeah, I he think says it after they've won. Yes, I think he's right <laughs> um, that that it is slightly concerning, but I think it's also something to to hang your optimism on because the quality of the performance. This weekend, particularly from Gavi, Just, was yeah. was extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm I'm always the one saying, "Look, let's calm down. Let's not yeah. run. Let's yeah, yeah, not yeah. get too excited." You are always saying year, that. You do always. Last say year, that. I was I, I kind of resisted the Pedri urge for most of the season. Then he had that brilliant Euros, and I started going, 
Yeah, all right, maybe he really is amazing. I must admit, I gave in to the Gavi urge a bit too quickly, or at least I thought I did. And then this weekend made me think, well, maybe I didn't. Hmm. Maybe I didn't. Um, And I think think it is a slight worry. Did you hear what Xavi said after the game? He was asked, could this generation be as good as Busquets or Pedro? Hmm. And he said, it could be better. Hmm. Uh, but he did say partly because there's more of them. Mm. He said there's seven or eight, and I could I could have put more in the team because, of course, you're talking about Abdi, you're talking about uh, Hutgler who scores, you're talking about Gavi, you're talking about Nico, you're talking about Ansu when he comes back fit, uh, you're talking about Araujo. Am I missing someone? That's six already. I Pedri. Feel like there might be more. Pedri when he comes back fit. Mm. Um, you know, you could maybe add. I don't know. Do you add Demir into that? You probably don't. No. Uh, but but you know you you've got a lot of really 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 talented players there and that with the personality as well and maybe they Eric can Garcia is some 20, pressure. Yeah. Eric Garcia is not 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 old no exactly although although he doesn't yeah I still think he doesn't entirely convince me Eric Garcia but but Gavi was just brilliant certainly was uh, and they needed him to be as well uh, Elche got themselves back into the game with two really good goals in two minutes from Tete Morente and, and Peramilla but then uh, Nico Gonzalez popping up in the eighty. 80- 85th minute, Barca are aiming to finish fourth. I think we know that, right? That's the most important thing for them uh, financially as much as anything. Barcelona Socios approved the Espy Barca project yesterday, which allows the club to borrow up to 1.5 billion euros to redevelop the camp now, amongst other things. Yeah. Well, that's the key thing, really, isn't it? That they, they approve the plan for this by Barca. The key thing isn't that they approve the plan in terms of the construction work. It's that they improve, approve the need to to take a loan of that size. Um, now, I don't necessarily have a problem with it in the in the same way as I don't have a problem with someone getting a mortgage. You know, this is a construction of, of, a, of a long-term project for, for over, a, I, I'm not sure how many years the the, the the thing is I think it might be 50 but I'm not completely sure um, with a repayment package which in, in theory at least pays dividends over time because it's worth doing that said of course it makes it quite difficult to accept some of the complaints about the uh, about using the term at least mortgage over the CVC deal now we've said before we have some significant doubts about the CVC deal in fact the more I read about it the more I have very significant doubts about it but um, just that, so if you like the terminology uh, tells you that actually it's more about the interest with the Super League and so on and and the question I suppose now becomes does this further constrain them in terms of sporting spending or is this ring fenced in a way that, that, that kind of keeps it separate from everything else and therefore allows them to carry on in a sporting sense at least as if this wasn't happening you know does this does this loan as I say, yeah, get ring fence, get completely separated from, from everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see. But it feels like a, a, an important uh, step in the uh, rebuilding yeah, of Barcelona. It's probably worth, it, it probably worth is worth mentioning, by the way. Um, and I, I don't know, obviously, among our listeners, how many have been to the Camp Nou in recent years, how many go regularly or how many have never been before. But, but certainly for those who don't go, I, I'm not sure if there's a, an awareness of the fact that genuinely the Camp Nou is in a pretty bad way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not terrible by any means. It's a it's a really good stadium in in many ways, but it is dated. it's not right. It's a little bit. It is a. It's not right. Absolutely, it's, it is a little bit crumbling. There are parts of it that really do need renewal, and of course, the big thing about stadium projects is Real Madrid approving with their current one, which in terms of watching the game was totally unnecessary. Hmm. But it's about creating a space that generates you money, because of course, the reality that football clubs are confronted with is this is a really bloody big building. Which only generates money for you once every two weeks, hmm. you know. And so it's it's about maximising that. 
on match days, but also beyond match days. Absolutely. Um, multiple revenue streams, Sydney. That's what That's everybody phrase, needs. That's yeah. yeah. That's what everybody I, needs. That's what we need as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Should we build a stadium? Could JP Morgan lend us 1.5 billion? <laughs> Uh, our current only revenue stream is on Patreon and if we haven't mentioned anything that you want us to talk about uh, any of the games so, so far send us a question and we will answer it on the Q&A pod the Q&A pod is almost always longer uh, than the Monday pod because we go into a little bit more depth and answer all of your questions let's talk about Real Madrid nil Cadiz nil I know you're absolutely dying to dissect <laughs> this one Sid <laughs> Real Madrid had 36 shots only nine on target, 82% yeah. possession. The expected goals from this game was 2.83 for Real Madrid, 0.2 for Cadiz. It basically went pretty much as we expected the game to go. The only thing is that Real Madrid didn't manage to find a way through, yeah. but there were no surprises really here. No, in the in the structure, in the setup, there was none at all. Uh, Alvaro Ferreira has been turning to this same discourse for weeks now, but in particular for a game like this. And he'd said before the game, look, um, I, what game do you expect he was asked and he actually gave an answer and he gave an answer he said I expect Madrid to have the ball I expect Madrid to have, have territorial advantage and I expect us to wait for them and to close off and to see if we can catch them on the break that's a plan which of course was made more difficult in theory at least by the departure of Lothano just before half time Choco Lothano who, who had been at least giving Militao someone to race against but Militao was quicker than him and he actually pulls up in a race with Militao for the ball that changes the way they play because then they're going they can't go over the top but they can go to Negredo to try and hold the ball and actually he had the one really good chance that potentially could have meant Cadiz could even have won this game mm. I mean, that would have been really quite something. If that it's always mad. Cadiz don't have any possession, really, and they, they sit so deep. They always manage to create a, a, one or two chances in a game. I guess because in the end, if you sit that deep and you keep on inviting the other team onto you and mm. you, you do it again and again, eventually that team is going to be drawn so close <laughs> to you. Because when they get the chance that Negredo has... I believe it's him that receives it mm -hmm. and spreads it out to the left wing for someone running, which I think is Ruben Soliano, but I'm not completely sure. Sabrina. And then it's him, yeah. uh, Sabrina rather, sorry. And it's him that gets it back in the area. When he receives that first ball with his back to goal, if you like the kind of the outlet ball, he's about 20 yards inside his own half. This isn't a ball on the halfway line. This is 20 yards inside his own. That's how far Real Madrid have been dragged on to, well, not dragged on, encouraged on to, uh, onto Getafe, I was about to say, onto Cadiz. Um, I, I think, the, as, as you say, you know, in terms of the, the analysis, this wasn't a surprise. The surprise for me was that Madrid didn't eventually find a way through mm. because I just thought there's no way you can resist for this long when the ball genuinely comes back every time. Mm. Right? You never, ever hold it for a bit. You know, there's no pressure off. It's up it goes, here they come again. Mm -hmm. Up it goes, here they come again. And that is relentless and it is tiring. Mm. And, and I... I sat, and this is one of those few occasions where I think it was actually really, really useful sitting behind the goal that Real Madrid were attacking in the second half. Very close to Cadiz, in particular, very close to Carlos Acapo. I saw Fanny's you on TV a few times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the ball kept hitting my bit of the uh, of the advertising boards. Um, and at one point, actually, Capo nearly wiped me out. Uh, Acapo sliding in on one of his challenges. That, and, and it was really interesting watching it from there because I was scared for them. Like every time Vinicius picked the ball up and ran at them, I thought, you've got no chance, pal. And, and they dealt with it brilliantly. And it was really interesting listening to Ledesma uh, talking his players through it. And in particular, the word he kept using was the line, the line, get the line right and making sure the players were in the line. 
and we were fortunate enough to be able to speak to him afterwards and, and, and ask him about that. And he talked about how when you play that way, when you basically don't have any outlet at all, <laughs> the other team end up defending with two. And so their two fullbacks come right up on you as well. And he says, so if, essentially you've got a line of six. And what you need to do is make sure that there's no space between where you allow them to reach, in other words, the edge of the area, and the player they would try and find with that threaded ball through. And he said, and so as a goalie, you've got to be ready to get off your line to fill that gap. Mm-hmm. And Real Madrid only really played that pass, I think, maybe twice and succeeded with it. One is the header from Hazard, where he's completely free on the edge of the six-yard box almost. Mm-hmm. But they weren't really able to get into that space. And the, the, just, but the tension, and as I say, watching a capital and thinking, there's Vinicius again, again and again and again and again. And, it's, and, and the, the, the degree of concentration, uh, sitting there watching up close, and I suspect that if I'd watched it high in the stands... It would have looked boring and it would have looked like Madrid were never going to get through. Watching it up close and seeing the athleticism, the speed of the circulation of the ball and all this sort of stuff, which actually Madrid didn't circulate the ball as quickly as they would have liked, I'm sure, mm. was it was really striking and it was actually really impressive. You know, it's not particularly attractive, but to, to see a team do that, I think, yeah, it's, it's not that easy to do, you know, mm. to keep this lot at bay. Equally, it's worth adding this, and I've said this before, but it's worth adding this. It's not that easy, however good you, a team you are, to break down a team that basically parks the bus well, or parks two of them. What were your feelings on Eden Hazard's performance? Because first half, relatively anonymous. Second half, he, he did do some stuff. And then I heard sort of varying different analyses of how he performed uh, on the radio last night. So, so what, what were your feelings? Let me, let me give you what, yeah, what my, my analysis is from a, um, I suppose from a tactical point of view, although I'm always very reluctant to try and offer a tactical analysis because I don't think I'm necessarily qualified for that. But I thought what was interesting is in the first half, I thought he was totally anonymous, thought he was an irrelevance. And, and it, was, it was sort of like, oof. and then I thought, well, maybe it's because he's the other end of the pitch. Then when he was nearer to me, I thought two things happened that were very interesting that, that helped him play well, because I thought his performance was good in the second half. Mm. And in particular for this scenario, and that's why I want to look at it from a tactical point of view. I think two things happened. I think one is he stopped playing on the right wing. He came in from the right and he was playing, he was playing quite close to Benzema a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. In fact, there were times when he would go over with Vinicius and they would double up on a capo, which again makes a capo's performance, I think, even more impressive. The other thing that I think happened was exactly as we've just been talking about, Madrid ended up with the two fullbacks very high. Cadiff got so, so deep that it was a line. So the stretch of the pitch that you're playing in is very, very narrow. Mm-hmm. Now, my, some of my doubts about Hazard are obviously about um, what do you call the arrancada? The, the sort of the ability to get going, the starting run, the, the burst from the blocks, if you like, mm-hmm. that first burst of speed, um, and the ability to run into space. But he has fantastic technical qualities still, more so, for example, than Vinicius. He has the ability to put his bum into players and hold them off and turn them, and to turn in tight spaces. And in a game where he wasn't having to run into big spaces, but was forced into tight spaces, I actually thought he was Madrid's best player. In terms of that technical quality in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an area where there isn't any space, I thought he was one that looked most likely to find his way past someone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was at home against a relegation threatened side. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes, I mean, and, and you know, we shouldn't we shouldn't avoid that. Uh, we shouldn't avoid that, and, and we shouldn't get overexcited about it. And Ancelotti but it was said, something. didn't he? It was something, and we've seen it was basically nothing. No, no, it was it was so long, it was there as yeah. a player. Yeah. It was there as a player. Now. The problem with this analysis, there's two things with it, problems with this analysis. Number one is that Ancelotti said otherwise, 
And he said, you know, it's not because there's players missing that he's playing. He would have played anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe he would have done because it was Cadiz. Maybe this was the moment that he was thinking, I'll give him a chance because we get through that run of games. And by the way, the fact they've drawn this doesn't mean that run of games, the plan wasn't the right one Mm. because you'd much rather draw this game than draw any of those ones. Mm. Um, So maybe that's it. But here's the fundamental fact. Asensio's out. Bale is out. Rodrigo is out. And Lucas Vasquez is playing at fullback. Mm. Right? That is four players missing mm. for Hazard to play. And here's the other thing. Hazard then has to play on the right. Because those are the four players for the right-hand side. He won't play on the left because Vinicius is there. He has to play on the right. The position in which, about three or four weeks ago, Ancelotti said he can't play <laughs> in that position. He says that's not his role. Mm. And then what's the other thing? As I've just said, I thought he played well in the second half when he came away from the right. So you've got to recondition things if you're going to get this performance from him again or ignore other players who come back to fitness and who, to be honest, probably deserve that role more than him. Now, the good news is that right-sided position is semi-open still. So there might be another chance there. But I think there's just as likely to be a chance there for Bale and certainly for Rodrigo and Asensio as there is for him. Okay, I was going to say, so you're saying there's a chance, but... There's not. I'm saying there's a very small chance. There's a very small chance. And, and look, if Vinicius gets injured, he's the most natural replacement on the left, I think. Yeah, okay. How happy is he going to be with that position in the squad? I mean... Yeah. Well, here's a, here's a question for you. Has he just accepted it, was, it? All right, this is me now. I mean, I'm right, not well, going to get any you've better. Just, you've, just, you've just said it. You've just said it. Here, this is the question I was going to throw at you because it's something we were talking about yesterday on the telly before the game, which I thought was, was an interesting point and I hadn't really thought about it. Um, but Craig Burley asked me about it. He said, he said, I've not really heard anything from him. I thought, that's true. You've had no complaints, mm. no kind of sense of rebellion, no fight back. It feels a little bit like acceptance, yes. which is a very strange position to, to be in, I think. Maybe there is an acceptance on his part that during his time he has not necessarily looked after himself how he should have, which has possibly Maybe. contributed to some of the problems he's experienced while being at Real Madrid. Maybe there's a level of awareness there, but who knows? Sydney, we're playing amateur psychologist here. Yes, we are. We are. We love to do it, although we shouldn't. We really mustn't. Uh, what we really must do is uh, is move on. We don't have time to talk about the brilliant game in Bilbao between Athletic Club uh, and Betis. We don't have time to talk about that brilliant win from Villarreal in San Sebastián because we want to squeeze in a quick word on Rio beating Alaves by two goals to nil and Rio having the best home record in Europe, 25 points out of 27 they can't compete for top four. Tell me they can't, just so I get that out of my mind. That's not going to happen. They are fourth. After 18 games, they're fourth. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But they're there on merit, yeah. and they're there down exclusively to this to this incredible, extraordinary home record. They've only conceded yeah. three goals at home. Sid. It's, it's, it's quite ridiculous. Um, yeah. You've been to see them a lot. You've seen them a lot. I've seen a lot. They're, they're, you know, and you know why? Because they're fun. Right? And, and this, is, this is the thing. The team that comes up from the second division and overachieves, particularly overachieves on the basis of a good home record, Mm. tends to be because they're tough and aggressive Mm. and and, and quite defensive and, and, you know, they they make life difficult for the opposition. This team doesn't do that. Mm. This team goes for you. This team attacks you. Um, I I asked Andoni Adala about this, uh, the manager, of course, after the, must have been the Mallorca game. Mm -hmm. No, no, it was the Espanol game. Sorry, it was the Espanol game. 
And I said, uh, I wonder if the phrase to describe you lot is organised chaos. Because they're a team where it does feel like there's players everywhere. Mm. Like everyone running all over the place. They double up on the wings. Mm. They attack you with fullback and winger on both sides. And particularly the left, which is kind of amusingly, pleasingly kind of appropriate for a, for a right of eye kind of that they're fantastic on the left wing yes. with their political leanings the two Garcias are are, are are brilliant but they do it on the right as well a little bit less so with Issy because Issy likes to come in a bit more than go outside but, but he, they still double up on both sides they go for you they're very direct they're all over you and then they if they don't win the ball in that first wave of pressure they all turn and run back mm. and it's look, it looks like watching a playground when people are playing bulldog because everyone's running in the same direction. <laughs> and then they sort of get there and they go, okay, we're here now. And then everyone runs in the same direction the other way again when they, when they launch the ball forward. It's a stampede. Mm. And they're brilliant fun to watch. They're really, really good fun to watch. And, and that's why this matters, regardless of what position they get in. Because, because football's supposed to be fun and they're great to watch. I just want to run a couple of numbers by you. Um, this is Inola dangerous. Keeps on, okay. Yeah, it is, yeah. But don't worry, these are relatively simple ones okay. even for me. Idaola keeps t- talking about how, look, these are results. And it's interesting to hear a manager say this because you run the risk of people saying you're showing a lack of respect to other clubs. And that's absolutely not, not what he's doing. But you run the risk of people saying that. He says, look, our home record is really good. But I think it's partly a, a quirk of the fixture list. He says, we've had a benevolent calendar so far this year. So Rayo Vallecano this year have beaten the teams in 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th and 19th. Espanyol and Barcelona, who are 10th and 7th. And against Celta, who are 13th, they drew Mm 0-0. So he is right. This will tip. But this will also mean that hopefully their away form will improve. Mm. Because, of course, the counter side of this is that they've been away to everyone good. Mm. They've been away to Real Madrid. They've been away to... Sevilla, Real etc., etc. Um... But as I say, the main thing is that this is fun. Now, can they hold on to that position? Probably next year won't be Rio Liverpool. It probably won't, um, despite the chant. But they are playing well enough, and it's exciting enough that, first things first, they've already got 30 points. They are basically three victories away from safety already. Maybe even less. Hmm. It might be two more victories. 36 points would be enough for them to survive. Hmm depending on where the threshold is this year. But 39 almost certainly will be. I'd be amazed if it's not. And so that's already, if you like, points in the bank. The other thing is this sense of excitement, this sense of something building. I suppose one risk would be they've basically got a starting 11 that we know, with the exception of the forward, and that's dependent on an injury. We don't know if Falcao will stay there when he's fit. We think he will, but it could be Guardiola. It could occasionally be Randy. But the rest of the team basically picks itself now. So maybe with a few injuries, they would struggle to find a way through it. But the main thing, as I say, is that is they're great fun. And they're, they're, they're really, really good to watch. And they've scored more goals than, than anyone except Real Madrid at home this season. They've got the best record in the whole of Europe um, at home. It's 25 of 27 points. It's just brilliant. It's just so unlikely as well. This is why we're gushing a little bit. Because we really, really, absolutely, in no way expected this to happen. And we're enjoying the ride. Uh, be- well, to give you an example of this, I mean, just a very, very brief one. Just one, one quote, which I really like. Everybody knows that they're a disaster. We've talked about it a lot. Here's a quote from their captain. Their captain says, If I was a fan... I would shout and insult and have make my voice heard because otherwise nothing here is going to change. 
Hopefully it does off the field. Let's see if they can continue to perform this brilliantly on the field as well. Uh, before we go, quick word about the Segunda División. Lugo against leaders Almeria, as we said, was postponed after a COVID outbreak at Lugo. They've got 23 positive cases, including 15 players. Eibar a second. They won 1-0 at Las Palmas with a, another goal for Stoichkov. Not that one. Uh, Tenerife are third. They won 2-0 at Zaragoza. Leganes won 2-0 at Malaga. Ibiza sacked their coach, Juan Carlos Carcedo, after they were beaten 2-0 at home by Sporting. And Sid went to see Fuenla nil, Oviedo nil. This week on Tuesday, we've got Villarreal against Alaves and Sevilla Barca. And then on Wednesday, we've got Granada against Atleti and Atletique against Real Madrid. Some cracking games to, to end um, the... I was going to say end the year... We do actually have one match on the 31st of, uh, of December as well, but to, to lead us into the festive period. So anyway, come and join us at Patreon because we'll be podding throughout this week uh, on the uh, games and taking your questions as well. If not, I was going to say we'll be back here next Monday. Probably won't. Might take next Monday off, but we'll be back very, very soon. Um, Are we allowed to do that? I think we're allowed to. We'll give ourselves, we next, have to. We'll give ourselves yeah. next Monday off. But yeah, we'll be back in a couple of weeks uh, here on the uh, on the Monday podcast feed. Uh, join us then, amigos. Thanks for joining us throughout the year. It's been great to have your company. There are lots of podcasts out there. We very much appreciate you choosing us. But they're rubbish, aren't they? Sydney. I was being <laughs> nice there. You know, there are lots of podcasts out there. There are thanks lots of podcasts out there, but they're rubbish, so listen to but us. But we're great. So thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll speak again very soon. Adios, amigos. Cheerio. Network.